0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. So please get your Bibles out and turn them to Mark chapter 14. Um, If you did not bring a Bible this morning, that is okay because we have them for you. You should be able to find one underneath one of the chairs in front of you. And today is what we call Invite a Friend Sunday, so perhaps some of you have been invited, and this is your first time here, and we just want to say again, we're so happy that you're here and hope you feel warmly welcomed. And um, if you don't have a Bible and you want to take that paperback Bible home with you, we would love for you to do that. Um, Again, there should be a number of Bibles throughout. If you pick up one that's a little bit beat up, you can look for another one, get one in good condition. Uh, We would love that to be our gift to you today. So, <clears throat> Mark chapter 14, we're actually going to be looking at two, two different passages uh, in Mark 14. Um, I have to admit <clears throat> that I haven't been to the gym in quite a while. Same. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I was uh, set up to go three times a week. That was my goal. I'm going to go three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That was the goal, and then I found out I had to reduce that to two times a week. Um, Now I'm running at about the rate of zero times a week. Uh, That's the way it's been lately. (laughs) Um, You know, why is this? I mean, partly, probably busy schedule. That's one possible reason. Another possible reason is I'm not planning very well. Uh, maybe not trying hard enough, maybe it's not really in in my heart to to get to the gym. Um, I was on a routine for a little while, I was doing well, but now I feel like I have backslidden. So that's a word maybe that you've heard of in kind of religious, church, spiritual circles. We have this term called backsliding. Uh, Backsliding means um, an occasion where Uh, In in spiritual matters, in in Christian um, thought, we would say it's when a genuine Christian begins to kind of drift or move away from his or her relationship with God. And it can happen for a number of different reasons. Sometimes people find themselves falling back into maybe some kind of an addiction, or uh, sometimes it's just a person just falling asleep spiritually, you know, we just kind of were getting into all of our entertainment options, maybe we're hanging out with the wrong people, and our heart grows cold towards spiritual things, and we find ourselves drifting away and kind of embracing a pattern of, of ungodly behavior. I mean, one example of this in the Bible, maybe some of you know about King David. King David uh, was waking up late and looking out, and he saw a beautiful woman, and he ended up committing adultery with this woman. And he was brought back to faith, brought to repentance, but we would say that was probably an example of backsliding uh, in David's life. Some clarifications I want to make here, what we're not talking about, when we talk about backsliding, I'm not talking about losing salvation. I don't think that's possible. I think the Bible is pretty clear that a genuine Christian who, whose sins have been forgiven and has received the promise of eternal life, that that can't be lost. I'm not talking about losing salvation. And I'm also not talking about just our daily battle with various sins that we struggle with. All of us have various sins that we struggle with. There's nobody who is without sin. Uh, Your pastor has his own sin struggles every single day that I deal with and wrestle with. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about backsliding. And we're also not talking about what we would call apostasy. Apostasy is where a person has been a professed Christian for a while and then comes forth and says, I have had a change of mind and I have decided that I'm not a Christian. And they come forth publicly and they renounce what they once believed. Judas might be an example of that. We've looked a little bit at the story of Judas in the Gospel of Mark. Judas engaged in a premeditated, intentional betrayal Of Jesus and where we see no examples of repentance at all in His life. So, I'm not talking about losing salvation, not daily sins, not apostasy. It's it's falling away, drifting away, and it happens actually fairly often to a number of Christians, and we have an example of this with this man named Peter, and that's who we're looking at today, an example of backsliding. And we see this in the story of Peter. So here's what we do at New Life. We just kind of go through books of the Bible and we're going through the book of Mark right now, and we just take whatever text comes up next. And so um, this text was not planned for Bring a Friend Sunday. It's just the next text that came up. And so um, that's what is before us today. And I think what we'll find here is there's a lot of encouragement for backsliders, uh, but there is also a warning. To backsliders and a warning to those who might be in a backslidden state about how easy actually it is to find ourselves, even as Christians, far away from God. So if you're able to stand, <clears throat> to stand why don't you do that now? And we're going to read these two passages, Mark 14, 26 to 31, that picks up where we left off last week, but um, I'm going to skip ahead and then read verses 66 to 72 as well, because these are kind of two parts of the same story. Um, We will cover the passages in between, but this is how we're going to handle it today. So, Mark 14, verses 26. Last Supper has just concluded, and it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Skipping ahead to Verse 66, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with a Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice you will deny me 3 times and he broke down and wept holy spirit we call on you to open our eyes and hearts to behold wonderful things in your word in Jesus name amen you can be seated <clears throat> jesus and backsliding <clears throat> three things that I want to show you from uh, these two passages. And the first one is this, that the greatest of saints can fall into backsliding. The very greatest of saints can fall into this habit of backsliding. In other words, nobody should think that you are beyond this temptation. No one should think that he or she is, is too good or too spiritual or too mature, too committed for this to happen. Because if this can happen to Peter, I assure you that it can happen to anyone. Because consider Peter's situation. We've been looking at his story throughout the book of Mark over these last several months, and you might recall that um, Peter' is not only one of the 12 chosen, but actually he's in the inner circle of the three who have kind of a closer relationship with Jesus. And so that means he's been with Jesus very closely over the course of about three years, and he's been hearing Jesus teaching firsthand, right there, watching, listening to Jesus teaching. You might remember that Peter was the first one who called Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the first one to get what Jesus had been trying to teach and communicate to the disciples. Peter got it. Peter also you might recall, was invited up onto the mountain and saw the transfiguration. Remember when Jesus was just shining this bright white light, he saw something that only a few in history have seen. He saw the transfiguration. You might recall also that Peter was rescued from drowning by Jesus. I mean, talk about a person who has had an intimate, close relationship with Jesus and has seen Jesus do countless wonderful, great, miraculous things. And he has gone down in history as Saint Peter. But what happens here to this man who had such a close relationship with Jesus? Well, again, uh, the Last Supper is what we looked at last week. And so, we see here in verse 26 uh, that the supper is concluded with a hymn. That would have been a very uh, customary way of concluding the Passover meal, which is what they were doing. And so, they head out to the Mount of Olives. And um, just as with the Last Supper, when Jesus pointed out that one of the disciples was going to betray Him, referring to to Judas, here we see Jesus again, and He just kind of drops this bomb on them in verse 27 and says, you will all fall away. Now, notice that word is a little different. Fall away is different than betray. And in fact, the word fall away has a uh, you know, grammatically speaking, kind of a, a passive sense to it. And so, uh, one way to interpret this word is is you will all stumble. So, again, what Jesus is not referring to here is, is losing salvation or a betrayal in the same sense as what occurred with Judas. It's a, it's a temporary stumbling. But notice how Peter responds to this in verse 29, not me. Peter seems to have this history of disagreeing with Jesus. Remember when Jesus said earlier, i got to go to the cross, and Peter said, no, 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 that won't happen, Jesus. And now here Jesus is saying, you will all fall away, and Peter says, no, no, not me. Not going to happen to me. Now, our first response to this might be to kind of respect what Peter is doing here because, I mean, he loves his Savior, right? I mean, he is committed to to Jesus. He is devoted. He doesn't want to fall away, And so, in one respect, we should look at this and think, man, that's really admirable. I mean, anybody who says, look, I am never going to renounce my faith. I mean, that's a good thing as far as it goes, right? So, we want to affirm Peter as far as we can, but it seems the problem here is that Peter has a a bad case of overconfidence. The problem here is that that he can't imagine himself falling away because he apparently thinks pretty highly of himself. If you look back at verse 29, um, he says, I will not, even though they all fall away. You know, these schmucks over here, yeah, I can see it happening to them. I can see them denying you, Jesus, but no, 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 not me. Uh, My theology is better. I'm more passionate for you, Jesus. I have given more. I am more committed. I'm more serious about my faith than they are. So it might happen to them, but it's not going to happen to me. And I think what we're seeing here in this verse is that that's a dangerous attitude to take, that attitude of pride and overconfidence. The Scriptures warn about this in other places. Here's Proverbs 16. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, "'Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall.'" When you think, I am in this immovable place and nothing will ever happen to me, I could never fall in the way that Peter did, I could never commit this sin that I've seen other people commit. I'm too good for that. I'm too mature for that. The Scripture just says, get ready. You're just about ready for a fall. And you've all probably heard of Mike Tyson, great boxer. Mike Tyson. I'm guessing that Mike Tyson, at the height of his fame, probably never imagined that he would have money problems. Back in the 1990s, when he was flourishing, at the height of his boxing career, he was worth about $300 million dollars. And then by the year 2003, he was filing for bankruptcy, $23 million in debt, just a few years after being worth $300 million. The richest people can fall into bankruptcy, and the godliest people can fall into backsliding. So the conversation here continues with Jesus and Peter, Jesus clearly knows Peter's heart better than Peter does. So, in response to Peter's disagreement about falling away in verse 30, Jesus says, truly I tell you, Peter, I mean, before the night is up, (laughs) actually today you are going to betray me. Before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me, Not, not just one time and not just two times but three times. And Peter's response is is emphatic, right? Oh, Jesus, if I got to die, I will not deny you, again, showing Peter's misunderstanding of his own heart because it's not Peter who's going to die for Jesus, it's Jesus who's going to die for Peter. It's Jesus and His commitment and His faithfulness and His love for sinners that is really at stake here, not Peter and His faithfulness to His Savior. His Savior's faithfulness to Him is what we're going to see come out of this text so the greatest of saints friends can fall into backsliding i mean i don't care how long you have been a christian Uh, i don't care what mighty great things you have done for the kingdom you might be an elder you might be a deacon you might be a pastor you might be a missionary you might be playing in the band you might be a ministry team leader you might have brought many many people to faith in jesus throughout your life but the greatest of saints can fall into backsliding. So, be warned. Beware, friends. That's why all of us need just the basic means of grace, time in the Word, time in prayer, time worshiping together, because if it can happen to Peter, it can happen to you. So, that's the first thing. Second thing, not only can the greatest of saints fall into backsliding, but the smallest of pressures can lead to backsliding. The smallest of pressures. So, let's... Uh, Jump ahead to verse 66. Verse 66. So, this whole portion of Mark is showing Jesus on his way uh, to the cross. And so, here we have some of the last events that are leading up to that. So, um, you know, his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, we're we're kind of going past that, and Jesus' arrest and uh, his trial before the council. Uh, We'll get to these again. We'll go back and and make sure we cover these, but we're skipping over these this morning and and jumping ahead, verse 66. Um, We also learn in the passages that we haven't looked at here that all the disciples have left Jesus, verse 50 tells us. So, again, that's what Jesus predicted. They all said the same, it says, in verse 31. So, they've all… Um, left him, and we also read that Peter, though, is kind of staying, you know, kind of close. He, he's following Jesus at a distance, it says. So he's kind of observing, watching what's going on, but, but he's at a distance. And so, verse 66 starts by saying that Peter is below in the courtyard. And in another place, it says that Peter was warming himself by a fire. So it's kind of cool temperatures at this time, and he's hanging out with these people. He's, he's warming himself up in the courtyard, it's outside. And there's a building fairly close by, and it's probably up in the second floor where Jesus is under this questioning, this intentional questioning. He's, he's under trial here. Uh, and the reason we know that is because there's a time where it says that Jesus looked down and saw Him. So, they're not far from each other. Um, and so, Jesus upstairs is, is under trial, but Peter is under trial too. Peter's about to be tried himself. He's about to endure some questioning. And so, here's what happens. It's a servant girl. Verse 67, a servant girl comes and says, "Um, you also were with that Nazarene, Jesus. And Peter's response is, "Uh, I don't know or understand what you mean. I don't even comprehend what you're trying to say. This is so far beyond reality. I don't know what you mean. Denial number one from Peter." Well, the girl doesn't give up. 69, the servant girl sees him. Um, Even though Peter has kind of removed himself, gone out to the, the gateway, servant girl sees him and begins to say now to the bystanders, I'm telling you, this man is one of them, this Peter, he's like a Jesus follower. Verse 70, again, he denied it. Denial number two. And then the bystanders, they catch on because of what they have heard this girl say, and so they start to notice Peter And after a little while, they say to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. One of the other gospel writers tells us that they noticed his accent. He was from the north, so he had an accent, and they noticed that. You're you're a Galilean, certainly uh, you are one of them. Now, something we should notice here as this kind of is going on is that every time there is a a confrontation or a question, Peter's got an opportunity to repent. You know, Peter has an opportunity to, to come clean. And in fact, you might have noticed that the rooster has already crowed one time at the end of verse 68. I mean, Peter has got to remember what Jesus had said when that rooster crowed. It was just like God being gracious, kind of giving him a warning. Peter, remember what Jesus said? Here's an opportunity to come clean and to say, yeah, yeah, you're right, I do know him, and I'm not ashamed of it. But. Quite the opposite happens, right? In verse 71, it says that he is even more emphatic about it, and it says he begins to invoke a curse on himself, and he swears, by the name of God, I do not know this man of whom you speak, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Peter has failed the test, failed the test. But what I want you to see here, friends, is notice the pressure that Peter is under. He is not being tried by the council, the high priests, and the rabbis up in the room. He's not being confronted by a mob of people with swords and clubs. Both of those is what Jesus was facing. Where is this pressure coming from for Peter? A servant girl, a little young servant girl. A girl who is probably just about as low as you can get on the socioeconomic ladder in that culture and in that time. And, and notice that she doesn't really even make an accusation, right? I mean, there's nothing necessarily hostile about her words. Just say, hey, weren't she with Jesus? I mean, who knows if Peter had said, yeah, actually I was, that she might say, tell me more about him. <laughs> I mean, we don't know that. There doesn't seem to be anything necessarily hostile, but Peter crumbles under the pressure. The smallest of pressures can sometimes bring us down, friends. It's again a warning to our overconfidence and pride and self-assurance in ourselves. The smallest of pressures can lead a person into backsliding. I know that uh, many of you, well, some of you are, are quite a bit younger and probably don't remember, but in 1986, do you remember when the Challenger space shuttle launched in January of 1986, that this is one of those things where uh, a lot of people, you know, you just remember where you were when that happened. And I remember where I was. I was in the quad at Ball State University walking to class when I heard about the Challenger disaster. Space shuttle goes up. Um, Seventy-three seconds after takeoff, it explodes in the air, and the seven... uh, astronauts on board are all killed. And so, you've probably heard this mentioned that the observation has been made as a lot of studies have been going into what it was that caused this. And they say, well, certainly it was partially the the low temperatures in the morning. It was a lot colder that morning than they expected, but the low temperatures ended up affecting a tiny rubber part called an O-ring. It's just one O-ring, not that big. And that tiny little O-ring malfunctioned and that is what caused the challenger to explode in one of the worst disasters in space american space history and the loss of seven lives the smallest pressures can create the greatest disasters and so friends a question for us as we look at this passage is are there times when you are tempted to deny your savior I mean, probably none of you have had a mob coming at you with clubs and swords, and probably none of you have been in a courtroom where you've been tried for your faith, but the pressures on us, honestly, they're a lot smaller, aren't they? They're like when you're at work and the conversation starts to move into spiritual things and we change the subject. Or it's like sitting down at that family dinner and you know there's that person there who needs to hear the gospel and we just avoid it. Or it might be that conversation you have in your neighborhood, you're taking a walk, and it just the Spirit just works in you, and it's like, tell this person about the gospel. And we just don't want to. We crumble beneath the pressure. There's a warning here for all of us, again, just crumbling under the pressure in a situation like that is not necessarily backsliding. But here's the kind of sobering thing about backsliding, is backsliding is the first step to apostasy. And sometimes we can't tell the difference between the two. Thankfully, Peter didn't go that far. I've told you there's a lot of warnings here, uh, but I also told you there's some encouragement here. (laughs) And so, we're going to get to that now as we look to the third point. Oh, yeah, there's the the challenger, by the way, picture of the challenger taking off in January of 86. So, the third thing um, to show you here is that the mercy of Jesus can forgive any backslider. So, let's go back to verses 26 to 31. Back to 26 to 31, Uh, Jesus has made this prediction that all of these disciples were going to to fall away. And what we see here is that Jesus' prediction is actually based on an Old Testament prophecy. So, you see that in verse 27. When Jesus says, you will all fall away, He says, it's because it is already written. In, in other words, this, this was already, you know, decreed. This is going to happen. And then He says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That's a quotation from Zechariah thirteen seven, And so, Jesus is saying this is going to happen just as it has been determined to happen in the Scriptures. And the way He describes it here, based on the language of Zechariah 13, is that there's going to be this this shepherd. So, who's the shepherd? The shepherd is Jesus, right? Jesus Himself calls Himself the good shepherd. Who are the sheep? The sheep are Jesus' disciples, those who call Him Lord, those who follow Him. Uh, Zechariah is saying these disciples, these sheep are going to be scattered, and that's what we have seen. They, They all fled. They all left Him alone. That's what Zechariah was foretelling. And what is it also to be stricken? I will strike the shepherd, Zechariah says. And so what Jesus is pointing to here is the fact that this shepherd, that is himself, he is going to be stricken. In other words, he is going to suffer. In accordance with God's foreordained plan, Jesus is going to suffer. He's going to go to a cross He's going to give up His life. He is going to be humiliated before all. He is going to suffer pain. He is going to shed blood, and He is going to do that to save sinners like you and me and to save backsliders. Here's what He says in uh, John 10. Jesus says, "'I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. I know My own, and My own know Me, just as the Father knows Me, and I know the Father, and I lay down My life for the sheep.'" And it's not just a death that Jesus offers up, verse 28, after I am raised up. And here we have Jesus reminding His disciples that a resurrection comes after His death on the cross where He overcomes the powers of death and sin and the devil. But here what we see, again, is that this entire incident is foretold by Scripture. In other words, Jesus knew that Peter was going to betray Him, turn from Him. Jesus knew it this was not a surprise to Jesus. I mean, think of that when Jesus chose His disciples. He chose them all knowing that they would all fall away, that they would all flee from Him. And He chose them anyway. Jesus didn't choose His disciples based on their perfect, faithful obedience over the course of their lives. If that was the condition for anyone to fulfill, nobody would enjoy salvation in relationship with Jesus. But he chooses Peter knowing exactly what is going to happen. He is not surprised, friends, when you fail him. He is not surprised when you fall away. He's not surprised when you go through this struggle with sin and you can't seem to get past it. He's not surprised. So go to him. Take your sins to him. Look to him for forgiveness. Ask him to help you. He's not going to cast you off. He's not surprised. He's not shocked. (laughs) That doesn't minimize your sin. Sin is serious, but Jesus is not surprised. In fact, this is all according to God's purpose. And in fact, God has a great plan for Peter, and He's going to do great things with this man. He's going to do great things with a backslider. And we'll see that actually next week. We're going to go to John and look at the restoration of Peter… Mark doesn't include this, but I just want to finish that story and look at John next week, the restoration of Peter. But here's how Sinclair Ferguson says that Peter was emptied, first of all, that he might be filled. He was broken down, that he might be made strong. He wept, that he might know the joy of forgiveness. Because this is how this passage ends, right? With Peter weeping. That's what happens at the very end of verse 72. When he hears that rooster crow twice, He remembers that Jesus said, you will deny me three times, and he broke down and wept. Friends, there is always forgiveness for backsliding, but backsliding can lead to tears and can lead to sorrow. But there's something that Luke shares with us that I think is very important, and Mark does not include, but in Luke chapter 22… What Luke says is that right after Peter denied Jesus, remember when I told you Peter's in the courtyard, Jesus probably upstairs in this room, and you might know this, but it says that the Lord looked at Peter. Right after that rooster crowed, right after that last denial, Peter just happened to look up, and there was Jesus looking him in the eye. Now, what do you think that look looked like? On Jesus' face. I remember when my dad was upset with me, he had a look. He would just put his glasses down at the end of his nose and look over his glasses as if the glasses were interfering with the impact that he wanted to make on me. He would look over his glasses and just give me this glare, and I knew I was in trouble. And probably rightfully so. It's probably right to give me that, that glare. But friends, that is not the look that Jesus was giving to Peter. It wasn't a look of anger, it wasn't a look of judgment. It wasn't a look of condemnation. I believe it was a look of mercy, a mercy that struck Peter in such a way that he broke down and wept, realizing what he had just done. I have just denied a Savior who loves me and is faithful to me and shows me mercy all the time. And I just denied Him. And He breaks down in tears. Friends, I want you to know today, whatever state you're in, spiritually speaking, if you've never come to know this Savior, you you can do that today by turning from your sin, receiving Him as Savior. To be a Christian is not to Be a good person and shape up and commit to doing all of these things and being a religious person. That's not what we're talking about. It's a personal faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, you should do that today. But friends, if you're in a backslidden state, you you are a Christian, you know Jesus, but you have drifted away from Him. I want to impress upon you that that's a serious thing. It needs to be dealt with. But I also want to impress upon you, friends, that when you come back to Jesus, you are going to be met with eyes of mercy you're going to be welcomed back with open arms. So, come back. Come back to Jesus. The Scriptures tell us where sin increased, grace increased, all the more. Praise God. Lord, we thank You for these warnings in Your Word. Lord, they're sometimes hard to hear, and they are humbling, but we thank You, Lord, that that You're clear and honest with us, that You tell us the truth not just about our own weakness, but about Your love and Your mercy and Your faithfulness and all that You have done to forgive sinners like us. We're grateful, we thank You, we praise You, and offer all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.